This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? And his name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. For those of you who are watching this on CBS News Streaming or Paramount Plus, don't forget about Paramount Plus. A different look this week. We are not as we typically are on the third floor of the CBS Bureau in Washington, D.C., my office. We're in the basement, same building, CBS Bureau, just in the basement, very dark studio. And if you're anything like me, you are missing my trusty and ever cheerful beach ball in the background. But we will press on nevertheless. Now, with that set design preamble out of the way, let me ask you a question. Question is this. If you could be anything in the world, what would you be? We think about that question a lot. Let me turn that question around. If there's something in the world you would rather, I mean, really rather not be, what is that? Well, one of the things that would fall into that category would be parents of an American child held in captivity in a foreign country, days, weeks, months, years, waiting, waiting, pressing your government to get them back home. Our two guests this week fall into that lamentable category. They are Mark and Deborah Tice. Their son, Austin Bennett Tice, was taken into captivity in August 2012 in Syria. He's a freelance journalist, photojournalist and regular journalist, meaning he wrote, did work for CBS, Washington Post and McClatchy. Austin Tice remains in captivity. Deborah and Mark are with us. Deborah and Mark, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to have you with us. Thank you for having us, Major. Yeah, thank you, Major. And you are coming to us from your home uh, in suburban Houston, correct? We are in urban Houston. We actually live in the city. Okay, great. In downtown Houston. Great. Um, We have a lot of time to talk about this. So I want to sort of start much earlier than what I just described and what you have been living through. Tell my audience who Austin Bennett Tice is and your memories of him and start from as early as you want to start. Oh, my goodness. You've opened Pandora's box. Uh, There's nothing that I love more than talking about my children and grandchildren. Uh, Austin was a big baby. He um, walked early. He chalked in complete sentences early. Uh, He's always been a big guy in, in heart and size. He is the oldest of our seven children, and he loves being the big brother. And they love having him being the quintessential, you know, giving his little sisters horseback rides and that kind of thing, uh, kind of brother. Austin um, is a perfectionist. He aims highest. If he gets a 98, he feels like he's just two points closer to failing. So uh, that's his drive. He's an Eagle Scout. He's a National Merit Finalist. He's a captain in the United States Marine Corps. He's a School of Foreign Service grad. And he's still a law student at Georgetown University. Um, He's just... He has a wonderful laugh. He has this most contagious laugh. Um, And there's just a huge empty space where he belongs every time we sit down for a meal or 
our family gets together. Mark, your memories of Austin as a young child? Well, even, you know, as a young child, uh, I was astonished at how beautiful he was as a, as a first-time dad. Uh, he was an amazing, amazing baby and toddler. And uh, even as a uh, teenager and as a young man, uh, you know, one thing I would say about Austin is he was challenging in all the best possible ways. He was uh, challenging in that he kept you on your toes uh, in terms of, you know, your thoughts, your explanations of things, your beliefs. Uh, he, he wanted to know uh, more than anything else. Deborah tells a great story about him reading the entire encyclopedia one summer. And he was challenging to his friends, too. If you had Austin as a friend, uh, he was all in for you. And if he saw you making a wrong move or going the wrong direction, uh, he did not hesitate to let you know and, and offer his help to get, back on, get you back on track. So, um, you know, always, always seeking to do uh, the best and utmost. And once he got his mind wrapped around something he believed he should do, uh, he was going to do it. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes it worked out great. Sometimes uh, it was a challenge for, for him. But uh, here we are. And Austin was homeschooled, correct? Correct. Yeah. And at age 15, if I have it correct, he applied to go to Georgetown. No, no, no. He, he, when he was 15, his mom would not let him leave town to go to I university. See. So uh, he applied to the University of Houston and he was accepted to the Honors College there. But he was definitely determined uh, to go to school somewhere else. So when he was going to be 18, he applied to transfer to Georgetown. Major, this is a great story. Uh, Georgetown does not encourage transfers. They prefer that you start as a freshman. So Austin put in his application with, I don't even know, 2,000 other people that wanted to transfer there. And this is back in the days when you mailed your application. Mm-hmm. And so he figured out how long it would be before it was on someone's desk. And then he called them and said, did you get my application? What do you think? Did you accept me? Major, he called them every day, every day. And he told them finally I'm going to go to Georgetown so you can accept me this semester or I'll apply again next semester. And we really think that's why they accepted him was just to get him off the phone. <laughs> that, uh, that is an amazing story. Um, and he is sometimes described in stories as a former Marine. I'm not in the military, but I know enough about the Marine Corps. There is no such thing. As a former Marine, you're always a Marine. You're either active duty or in the reserves, or you're just in retired status or non-active, but you're always a Marine. Rose to the level of captain, correct? Absolutely. That's correct. Yeah. And, and served in Afghanistan. Uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. Yes. Yeah. And did you have a sense of his response or feelings about service in both of those places? Mark, I think you had more communication with Austin, especially when he was in Afghanistan. Yeah, uh, I did. And, um, you know, his, his primary goal was to make sure that the men under his command came home alive and well and safely. And, uh, he spent a lot of time in Afghanistan, you know, uh, beyond the front line, uh, so to speak, in, in the job that he had. Well, wait a second. Um, wait, that's beyond the forward operating base. Not, beyond not, the forward not operating the front base. Line. Thank you. Beyond the forward operating yes. base. Thanks for that correction. Uh, right. And, but he also had a lot of contact uh, because of that. And, and in fact, in Iraq as well a lot of contact with uh, the local people, uh, you know, with the non-combatants, just the citizenry. 
And, uh, you know, he experienced some amazing hospitality, even in those tense, uh, you know, situations. And, you know, one thing he came back with, I think, was a, a great appreciation for those cultures and, you know, their, their faith, their focus on family, a lot of things that emulated and paralleled, you know, our family. So um, I, I think that's a, a big part, maybe the most salient thing that he came back with from those experiences. Our guests this week are Mark and Deborah Tice. They are the parents of Austin Bennett Tice in captivity still, we believe, in Syria. Taken into captivity August 2012. More of our conversation with them on the other side of this break. I'm Major Garrett, segment two of The Takeout, coming up in just one moment. Say goodbye to performance-robbing engine deposits with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Hate to break it to you, but lower-grade fuel can leave deposits in your engine that build up over time and leave your engine's performance severely lacking. Thankfully, Shell V-Power Nitro Plus removes up to 100% of performance-robbing deposits with continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors. Download the Shell app today to find your nearest Shell station and rejuvenate your engine with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Fuel up at Shell. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Mr. President, at table 48 tonight is a woman named Deborah Tice. Mrs. Tice, would you please stand? Now, Mrs. Tice's son, Austin, is a colleague of ours at the Washington Post, at McClatchy and at CBS, and he should be here with us tonight, but he's been held captive in Syria since 2012. As we take note of Trevor Reed's return, our thoughts tonight are with Austin Tice, and our collective hopes are that after nearly 10 years in captivity, he will soon return home safely to his mother, his father, his colleagues, and his friends. Welcome back to The Takeout. Mark and Deborah Tice are our guests. They are the parents of Austin Bennett Tice. They were in Washington very recently. We're recording this, by the way, on May 10th. They were here recently for the White House Correspondents Center. What you just heard was my dear friend and colleague, Stephen Portnoy, the current president of the White House Correspondents Association, describing them, talking to them, referring to them at the Correspondents Dinner. Mark and Deborah, what was that experience like? And tell my audience what that set in motion that night here in Washington. Well, Mark was in Houston, and um, I went to the White House Correspondents Dinner for the first time ever. It was uh, quite an experience, quite a, a mosh pit of people is how I felt about it. It was, we were just so crammed together, and I'm thinking this has to be a super spreader. There is no way. There's no escaping this. Um, Stephen had already told me that he was going to... Uh, asked me to stand. I really appreciate being prepared for that. Uh, it was quite an impactful moment. I've had a lot of feedback about that. And then, um, thanks be to God, uh, the president went off script when he was speaking. And uh, Mark and I had been asking for 15 months for a meeting with the president. And we got our invitation that night. So it was it was more than we could have hoped for. And as you know, there are all kinds of government people at that dinner. And on the way, leaving that dinner, I was told, we heard that, we're on it. So um, we, were in, we were in the president's office. That was, the dinner was Saturday evening. And we were in his office Monday afternoon. It was... And you've released a statement about that, and I know you do want to be protective of the specifics of that meeting. But reading that statement, it sounded as if you emerged encouraged. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was uh, an uplifting, informative and, and you know, very collaborative kind of meeting. I mean, we we uh, I, I've told some people we didn't meet the president, we met with the president and some of his, his top advisors. And so there was really a dialogue and, and we feel like we were able to get our thoughts across. Uh, you know, we, we communicated about 
some differences, some misconceptions, some things that we felt needed to be clarified or, or, uh, or emphasized. And yeah, it came out feeling like we had really had a solid understanding uh, amongst us. In the statement you released, you said it was a frank and candid exchange. People in my profession, when they see those words describing a diplomatic conversation, know that that means or signals sometimes. Well, it wasn't always uh, nice. There were exchanges that were a little maybe barbed or there were some sharp elbows or there was something that was conveyed that was that had to be worked through. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but when you see when I see the words frank and candid, that's kind of what I think. Should I think those things? Well, I will say this. The president is very plain speaking. Austin's mom is very plain speaking. And so we plainly spoke to each other. And um, it was it was a really engaged dialogue. And um, we were both up for it and able to able to come to an agreement, a resolution, a way forward. Um, all of those things are so uplifting from that meeting. He also sent everyone out of the room and we had some time alone with him, which was just really, uh, really personal, really significant as well. So now parents are uplifted and Austin needs the action. So that's going to be the next thing to do is just to press in, keep pushing. I asked for all of Austin's journalistic colleagues to please press in, ask for an update, find out what's going on right now. What's different from the last time I asked you this question? What are you doing to get Austin Tice home? Just ask it, ask it of, of anyone in the government and get them to give you an answer. And do you feel you have the president's personal involvement and commitment to Austin's release? Yes, I, I absolutely feel that way. And, you know, just to, to emphasize some of the things uh, on your last question, you know, there, there wasn't any rancor in our discussion. Uh, it wasn't argumentative. It was frank. And, and uh, we didn't intend that word to, uh, to mean something uh, negative in the, in the least sense. So, um, yes, I mean, we, we think the president was, you know, is a very sincere and uh, someone who, who feels things with the heart. Uh, he was clearly very much uh, on top of Austin's uh, situation, the history of it, the things that had been, been done in the past. Um, and so, you know, when, when he says that, uh, you know, he's, he's committed to trying to get Austin home, bringing him home safely, we, we believe him. We have been now with uh, three different administrations and, you know, not to not to uh, minimize anything that the president said, but uh, clearly those are the kind of things that we've heard before. Right. In this particular case, because we were able to have such a direct conversation and because the president was so well informed, uh, I have a higher degree of confidence that we're going to see the actions that are necessary to bring Austin home uh, than I've had before. And those actions in your statement suggest something called transactional negotiations. That means talking directly with a government which we don't talk to and maybe sorting something out that they want in exchange for Austin. Am I reading that clearly or not? Yes, that's exactly right. You nailed it. Okay. Uh, that's a difficult thing for the U.S. government to do, but it has been done. Uh, there are instances of that. Uh, we just had a situation very recently, the end of April, when um, uh, Trevor Reed was brought back from Russia in a prisoner swap. I think that's the best way to describe it. Uh, did And then Danny Fenster uh, was held in Myanmar, formerly known as Burma. He came home. Did those two cases give you a sense of, if not renewed, optimism, a sense that these kinds of conversations can happen and can yield real results? Oh, I really am eager to talk to you about this. Um, I was in D.C. 
on Wednesday morning when the news broke about Trevor Reed being released. He's a Texan. He's a Marine. I mm-hmm. think he did Austin a solid as far as showing that it can be done. Um, the three things that Austin needs are um, engaging with the Syrian government, which we've been told can't be done, but now we know it can. Uh, negotiation, which we've been told can't be done. Now we know it can. And that idea of transaction, we've been told it can't be done, but now we see that it can. Thank you very much, Trevor Reed, for coming home. We're so glad to have you back. And so um, what, what the Syrians have been asking for since 2014 is the only thing we've asked for, which is that direct engagement And um, the three things that they are keen to discuss are um, United States troop withdrawal, diplomatic rapprochement, and lifting of sanctions. And I truly believe that that's much easier than a prisoner swap because it doesn't involve overriding any any of the cabinet departments. And all of those things will eventually be a part of history. So it's just a matter of deciding whether that's going to happen sooner or later. For Austin Tice, we ask for sooner. That is the voice of Deborah Tice, the mother of Austin Bennett Tice. His father, Mark, is with us also. I'm Major Garrett. Segment three of the takeout on our continuing conversation will continue. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Syria rarely allows reporters into the country, so first-hand accounts are rare, but we have one this evening from reporter Austin Tice, who is inside Syria on assignment for The Washington Post. Earlier, Tice told us by phone about a rebel attack that he witnessed today against buildings that house Syrian secret police in the town of Al-Tal. The targets were two police buildings. Uh, one was in the center of the city, and one is sort of uh, on the southern outskirts of the town. The battle continued throughout the afternoon, and it seemed actually not to be going that well when a couple of helicopters showed up and started uh, started shooting. But eventually, the FSA was able to overwhelm the uh, government forces in both positions, and, and they actually captured both buildings. Are the troops from the Free Syrian Army holding those positions now? Yes, both of them. Um, it was quite a scene when they struck the government flag on the roof and... Uh, you know, raise the raise the free Syrian flag. There was you know quite a, quite a bit of sort of celebration in the streets. You can you can just imagine the scene. What did you see in terms of casualties and troops that were captured? On the rebel side, they said that they had either four or five uh, killed. On the government side, I'm not sure they had how many they had killed because they removed the bodies from the building before they would let me in. However, later in the day, I was able to go to the rebel headquarters, uh, which is sort of in the surrounding countryside, and there were probably about 50 prisoners. Austin Tice reporting from Syria. Welcome back to The Takeout. Our guests, Mark and Deborah Tice, parents of Austin Bennett Tice. What you heard was an audio recording from the CBS Evening News. It was on the broadcast, anchored by Scott Pelley. The date, July 19th, 2012. That was Austin Tice reporting from Syria about the Free Syrian Army and clashes with the government in Syria the early stages of that civil war, a conflict that Austin Tice felt compelled to cover. Though it was a deeply dangerous, risky endeavor, he did it anyway. He worked for McClatchy. You heard that on CBS Evening News. He did work for The Washington Post. About a month later, August 13th is the precise date, 2012. It is believed, August 14th, it is believed he was taken into captivity. Mark and Deborah, uh, a big question. I I have to believe it's on the minds of those who've been listening to you. 
how certain are you Austin is still alive? And what is the wellspring of that certainty? A hundred percent certain. And the wellspring of that is both in uh, what we feel, Deborah and I, and I'll let Deborah speak to that specifically as Austin's mom, but also to a number of different kinds of indicators, discussions, uh, to some degree information received, uh, the fact that there's been no word to the contrary whatsoever. Uh, so yes, we're 100% confident that there's a job here and the job is to get Austin safely home so he can continue his life. Deborah? I feel exactly the same way. It, there's, we had this very frank discussion with the president and um, there's, there's no reason to doubt that Austin is waiting to come home. And um, you have no additional information other than the sense that there's no declaration that he's not alive and the sense that the Syrians want to continue or engage in this. So they, that indicates to you there's something they want to talk about in exchange for this. So the exchange part of it convinces you or persuades you Austin is still alive. Yeah, that's, that's certainly a large part of it. Uh, you know, clearly in a situation like this, there are things that can be shared and can't be shared. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm telling you the things that we believe most strongly. Um, so, uh, yes, every fact that you mentioned that we talked about is a piece of that. Understood. And for the benefit of the audience, about 40 Americans are held in captivity They're not always referred to by the U.S. government as hostages. The terminology sometimes used is um, wrongful detainees. Whatever the terminology, they're held against their will. American families advocate relentlessly with their government, have to apply all sorts of pressure, and have to be relentlessly patient. The family we're talking to, Deborah and Mark Tice, have been in this position longer than most, maybe longer than anyone. I don't know, but correct me if I'm wrong on that. What is the experience of that endurance like, Mark and Deborah? And do you find yourself in spiritual collaboration with other parents uh, who are going through this? Is this something in which families lock arms and hold each other up? Um, I would say no. Okay. The 40 that, that you're referring to, and I'm not sure that it's 40, but the acknowledged detain are an entirely different um, complication, right? Like with Trevor. Mm-hmm. His father was able to see him in jail. You know, he went to court. There were, there were other ways of addressing that. And so the... The unacknowledged, the hostage situation has that other element of, of, the, of the absence mm-hmm. of acknowledgement, right? So that, that is one of, the, one of the barriers that the United States government embraces, right? That, that makes it more difficult. So, um, and as far as, you, you know, we have interacted with other hostage families but every situation is really different. Uh, the personalities of the people involved are really different. And so um, we haven't locked arms, as you say. Um, we're mm-hmm. certainly sympathetic, but Austin only has one mom. Right. There are lots of people that can advocate for him in many ways, but there's only one mom. Understood. Understood. And Mark, I saw in a, in a beautiful documentary that McClatchy put together, and I urge anyone who's curious about Austin Tice to watch it. It's very easy to find. Just go on the web. It's very easy to find. It's beautifully done. You describe in that that there are times when you and Deborah are doing something that you find mutually enjoyable, a bike ride, a hike or something. And near the end of it, or sometimes in between or in the middle of it, you'll say... 
should I or why or I do feel guilty that I'm having an enjoyable time knowing Austin is still in captivity. Communicate that in your own words to the audience. Hmm. Well, it's it's true. And as Deborah said, said earlier, you know, there's there's always a, a hole in the fabric of our family, uh, whether we're together or not together. And um, I, I have to admit that just last night, I noticed that there was a concert planned for this summer uh, here in Houston, a, an artist that I'd really like to see. And my almost immediate response is, oh, that, that'd be frivolous. That'd be frivolous to, uh, to find myself absorbed in the music and you know, the, the event, um, it would be very difficult not to think about how this is something Austin's missing. Um, so not that we don't do anything to enjoy, you know, but uh, there is always, you know, that waiting for us, if not on our minds, it's always the next thing that'll be on our minds. I hope that helps. Sure. Deborah, your thoughts on that? I agree, but after nine years and nine months, it's there's really more this feeling of, um, I just remember my stepfather being a, a World War II veteran, and he felt obligated to live his life for the ones that didn't come home. And so there's a certain thing in me that says, I have to enjoy the grandchildren double because Austin is so excited about being an uncle or when we go to the Shakespeare festival, which we've always gone to, uh, you know, watch it with even greater enjoyment because it's Austin's joy. There was a long time at the beginning that I felt like we were going to catch Austin up. That isn't going to happen. And so now it's just going to be stories that we're sharing with him and things that he can look forward to when he comes home. There's nothing catching up. Right. That is the voice of Deborah Tice. Her husband, Mark Tice, is with us. More of our conversation with them about Austin Bennett Tice. May he soon come home. I made you Garrett's segment for The Takeout in just one moment. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. I'm Major Garrett. Mark and Deborah Tice are our special guests. Their son, Austin Tice, held in captivity in Syria since August of 2012. Uh, Deborah, you said something very important just before we went to that last break. There's no catching Austin up. I think I know what you mean, but I want to make sure I know what you mean. Too much time has transpired. You can't catch him up on everything. There'll be bits and pieces you'll relate to him if I hear you correctly. Right. And, you know, one of the things that that Mark realized is his 30s have been detained from him. He, he won't he won't ever be free in his 30s, which, mm-hmm. which is a huge time of life for a man, especially, I believe. And. Um, You know, he won't be able to go to his middle sister's wedding. She was married in 2014. It just, there are so many things now that, that he, that can't be done. His baby sister is getting her master's degree at the end of this month. Um, She was the sophomore in college when he went to Syria. So, 
you know, there's no catching those things up. There's just telling him how it went. You right. know? What were your thoughts in 2012 when he went to Syria? Were there conversations about the risks involved? And uh, can you help our audience understand his level of passion about not just journalism, because lots of people can practice journalism in lots of places, but journalism in conflict zones where the story isn't being told and he felt a compelling need to tell it? Yeah, well, you know, as I mentioned before, uh, while he was on his tours of duty with the Marines, uh, he did come to have a, you know, a, a better understanding and, and a respect for the cultures that he was immersed in. And um, so I think, well, you know, he told me, in fact, that it was it was driving him crazy that there was this conflict building in Syria and yet every news, uh, you know, uh, bit about it, every piece uh, seemed to always end with, you know, we can't confirm these because, you know, we, we, have, we don't have any, any reporters in the area, you know. And, uh, th- you know, that combination of understanding and, and having some respect for the region and also the frustration of not being able to learn and people not seeing what's happening to the people, uh, not talking about the, the armed forces or, you know, weaponry talking about, you know, what's, what's this mean for the people? Um, so he was, you know, he was determined and, uh, about the only discussion you have with Austin when he is determined to do something and keep in mind, he was a 30 year old man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, is, have you thought this through, have you done everything you need to prepare? Have you listened to your mom's ideas? Because she always has some good ones. Uh, and, you know, and then hug him and, and wish him well on his way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as I understand it, you have been to the region more than once to try to learn what you can. Can you explain to my audience what those journeys were like? Well, I'll, I'll just mention the several visits, and I don't even know what the number is, uh, Deborah, that we've made to uh, to Lebanon together, which, of course, is, you know, a very close neighbor. Mm-hmm. When you're in Beirut, you're just about an hour and a half, I guess, away from or maybe an hour away from Damascus. Uh, so that's, you know, been, been my experience. Deborah, however, has a much deeper experience that she should share with you. So in uh, 2014, I went to Damascus. I lived with internally displaced for 83 days, um, which just turns out to be exactly the same number of days that Austin was free in Syria. And um, that was a defining trip for me. Absolutely. I plugged into a parish there. I did volunteer work. I walked through the souk with pictures of Austin um, reaching out, reaching out at all levels. That's when I got a message saying, I will not meet with the mother. <laughs> Send me a United States government official of appropriate title to discuss transfer of possession of Austin Tice. And um, so that's, that's when we began to make that plea to our government. Um, I went back again in 2015. I wasn't able to stay very long because of a situation back at home. So, uh, but I feel like I have family in Damascus. I have deep connections. I, my heart breaks for the suffering that the Syrian people are going through. Um, they're, they're really, they're known for their hospitality throughout the region. They are known as one of the most generous and, you know, open people. And I experienced that when I was there. There was no prejudice against me. I was the only American in Damascus. And everyone knew I was there for sure. So I think being in the region 
really does make a difference. And you really see that we share one earth. We've got to figure out how to get along. Mm-hmm. And Deborah, you said something earlier that I want to go back to before we have to say farewell to our radio audience in relationship to Trevor Reed. You said negotiations can happen. Clearly, the, these conversations happened while Russia was at war with Ukraine and there are deep divisions between the United States and Russian government. And yet these conversations happened and something transactional happened even amid this conflict. If I heard you correctly, that is verification to you that hard things can be done if you put your mind and government weight behind them. Exactly. And one of the points that was brought up was, you know, how complicated Syria is. Part of what's so complicated in Syria is the fact that we shuttered our embassy in Damascus and closed the Syrian embassy in D.C. We cut off the channels of diplomatic engagement. It's complicated because we complicated it. We didn't have any trouble reaching the Russian government. Our embassy in Russia is still open. Their embassy in DC is still open. Their consulate here in Houston is still open. That opens a channel for engagement. We have a complication with Syria in that we don't have that channel open. Our decision. And you want that decision reversed and if reversed, these things can be set in motion. Yeah, well, to be, to be perfectly clear, what we want is direct engagement, consistent and sustained direct engagement. You, you're probably aware there have been some reports of meetings and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, between the United States and Syrian officials, but they've been kind of one-off in and out. They haven't been sustained. They haven't been... Uh, you know, frankly, pursued by uh, some of our best diplomats, which is really what we're looking for. And, and so, yeah, we, we want to have that engagement begin to, you know, to grab hold and, and start a, a sustained communication. Uh, Deborah mentioned before the, the three areas that the Syrians have indicated they'd like to, to have discussions. And I, I want to make clear that you know, it's not that we're advocating for uh, an immediate change of everything, but there are steps that can be taken towards a normal relationship, uh, an improved relationships, one that will help the people of Syria as well uh, and help get Austin home. That is the voice of Mark Tice and Deborah Tice, our guests this weekend. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell. For those on the podcast platforms and watching on CBS News streaming and Paramount Plus, stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. You know, folks, we typically think of this as the fun and games part of the program. Our topic this week does not lend itself to fun and games. Mark and Deborah Tice are our special guests, parents of Austin Bennett Tice, held in captivity in Syria since August of 2012. But, Mark and Deborah, I want to give you an opportunity because I know there have to be stories that are light, that are amusing that have a lilt to them about your amazing son, Austin. So, uh, Deborah, I'll let you go first. Oh, my goodness. How do I pick one? Mark, do you have a suggestion? <laughs> no, you get to go first. That's what he said. Oh, um. I've been prepared for this question. Um, well, this, this, this isn't... Oh, here's... Oh, oh, go okay. ahead. All right. 
Austin was in a one of his School of Foreign Service classes, and they were talking about um, economics. And the professor was talking about this um, financial, you know, Nobel Prize winning financial yeah. idea. And and Austin stood uh, and said, you know, I entirely disagree with this entire theory. It's just you know, cannot be said on the radio. And uh, his professor said, well, Mr. Tice, the Nobel uh, committee does not agree with you. But the redeeming thing was several years later, the theory was in fact uh, debunked. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that is a pretty, pretty, pretty Austin thing. And, and when he was at law school, he had a professor that that was kind of using the, the same notes from 20 years prior, right? And um, so Austin met with that professor and said, you know, I know a lot of people here are, are their parents are paying their way, but I'm paying my way and you're not giving me my money's worth. You really need to get up to speed and, and make this worth what you're paid. And uh, later we met that professor and he said, I'm so glad your son was in my class because he, he reignited my passion for being a law professor. And that that's just, Austin is very challenging. He can be very confrontational, but his heart is in the right place. And I, I do believe engagement with him is something that just makes the world a better place, you know, to me, his mom. <laughs> Challenging, challenging a Nobel committee and a professor who was recycling 20-year-old lecture notes. I like both of those very much. Mark, anything come to your mind? <laughs> well, um, you know, on a, on a different kind of note, uh, over this entire period while we've been, you know, while Austin's been uh, held and we've been trying to get him home, we, we've heard from a, a lot of friends and acquaintances of his, many of whom we didn't know or, you know, hadn't met, didn't know anything of. And again, I'll say, you know, he was a grown man. So he right. had relationships and friendships. And, you know, we heard stories that uh, really touched the heart. Uh, you know, a, a co-worker at a restaurant he worked at at one time that uh, a woman who got off work late and every late night found Austin waiting for her to walk her home uh, just, you know, out of a sense of, of uh, friendship and, you know, duty and protection, right? That kind of thing. Um, and, and a word we don't use very much anymore, gallantry. Gallantry, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right about that. Um, and, you know, we, we still hear from a number of the men that served under him. And, uh, you know, he'll be embarrassed to hear me say this, but, uh, to a man, they say he was the best leader they ever had. And incredibly proud of that because, you know, a leader is what he aspired to be and it's what he is, but it's in the best way, leading people uh, in, you know, what he believes is the right direction for them uh, and their lives. So I'm going to ask this to Deborah and then Mark, and then we're going to have to wrap this up. But I want to ask a question that I think is on the minds of everyone in my audience, which is tell them because they might find themselves some point in the future in a difficult situation. What sustains you, Deborah? For me, it's my faith. Um, really major. If you, if you were trying to have a conversation with me, you couldn't because I'm up in my bed in the dark, curled up, sucking my thumb. So if you're seeing me right now, it, it really is the mercy and grace of God and the strength that I have through my relationship uh, with the divine. And um, I'm, I'm so happy to have that deep faith and the strength that it gives me to um, believe that since I am called to do this, I will be provided with whatever is needed. Mark? Yeah, I guess I would, uh, I would emphasize that called to do this because uh, 
you know, when I get that question, I frequently tell people that, you know, we're doing, I'm doing uh, exactly what they would do in the same situation. You would figure out what to do next and you would do that thing and you would keep looking for the next thing and keep doing the next thing until you got your child safely home. So, you know, to me, it's something that you can't do, we can't do otherwise. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, in fulfilling that duty as a parent, uh, and for that matter, as a human being, uh, you know, we, we just have to keep doing what we do until we get our son home. There are many passions in this world, ladies and gentlemen. There are few passions. I would say there is no passion like the passion of a parent. It's been my pleasure and my honor to talk to Mark and Deborah Tice on behalf of their son, Austin Bennett Tice. Mark, Deborah, thanks so much for spending time with us. God bless you. All the best of luck. Thank, Thank you. you so Thank much you for so much us. for giving us this opportunity. Thank you, Major. That concludes our Takeout Outtake Especial. Folks, I'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.